With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me, Taylor Dammel, we are officially, officially back. We have games to discuss, Taylor, one in particular that we're going to lead off with, but it feels so great to have college basketball tipped off. Uh, Dallas Graziani versus Zach Eady. that was one of my favorite tip-offs I've ever seen with uh, Purdue versus Samford. I think Graziani's like 5'7", Zach Eady's, you know, 7'2", whatever it is. But, man, it is so good to be back and to have watched and consumed all of that great theater that we uh, that we got on Monday. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day is Shaquille Duncan. Now, if that name doesn't sound familiar, it's because it's a very obscure name. He played at Morgan State from 2011 to 2014, so I'm trying to give our Morgan State listeners, if we have any, uh, some sunshine because they're licking their wounds after a 60-plus point loss. But I also chose Shaquille Duncan Taylor because is that not the greatest basketball name you could you could ever have? I mean, unless something short of LeBron Jordan. Shaq Dunk. Sha- yes, but also just the name, like Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal. I, mean, I know, yeah, right. Good it's Lord. Just, right, all over the place. But in a it's good way. Yeah, perfect. there's a lot of ways you could go with it. Yep. You're right. Shaquille Duncan, he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Namel. First time, baby. We're back. Let's open the curtains. p.m. Um, two games had just tipped, had an eight leg parlay still surviving games till midnight college basketball being back. That's a, the best birthday present. I know it's an election day for some folks around around the country. I don't give a shit about that because it's college basketball season and I feel great about it. Uh, just got back from Phoenix Beer Company here locally in McCormick Ranch. Got my meal paid for by my friends who work there. That's wonderful. Uh, my daughter Dottie's first time to Phoenix Beer Company as well. Great experience for her. She had a couple of margs, really started tearing it up there. We had to get her out of there uh, before things went too crazy. But uh, yeah, a great day. Nothing better than talking about the first day of college basketball on a guy's birthday. I'll tell you that. That's true. I mean, I can't, I can't foresee or I can't expect you to ask for anything more. Right, Taylor? You have a lovely mm-hmm. family, of course, but does that compare to 
a hundred plus games of division one college hoops that we were entertained with. Boy, you can say no, my wife's in the other room. So boy, it's close, you know? So I lost just as much sleep staying up to, to watch the end of the UCLA and Washington game last night as uh, my daughter has uh, maybe kept me from sleep here recently. So um, no, you know, as a degenerate gambler too, uh, degenerate gambler too. Um, it's just great to have literally a hundred like games to bet on per day. Like, I don't know if that's, you know, the best thing for your family's future to say, but you know, it's, uh, it's good to have options. Let's put it that way. Plenty, plenty of options were to be had on Monday at tons of, tons of good games out on paper. Uh, they, they weren't the most compelling. We're, we didn't, we didn't see a top 10 matchup, you know, two teams between that were both ranked in the top 10, but we did see some power on power. We saw a mid-major take down a, uh, a, a power conference team, and we'll get into all of that real quick before we do, though, Taylor. The return of college basketball season does also mean the return of your betting segment, all right? And we're going to call them Damel Dimes. Damel Dimes isn't going to oh. kick off just yet, but I am curious to know – were you able to complete that eight leg parlay? What was, what was the remaining leg? This is what you should savor this by the way. Cause I don't give a damn about people's bets and or fantasy, but I am curious to know if, cause you were staying up that late for the, uh, what Washington was playing Bellarmine. Bellarmine. Yeah. Bellarmine. And, and, and then, uh, and then uh, UCLA. UCLA was St. Francis, right? Yes, correct. So um, we did not complete the, <laughs> the parlay, unfortunately. Um, Officially back. It, it's just wow. typical. Uh, you, I had the over in the UCLA St. Francis game and that missed by six points, I believe. So um, shout out to UCLA for somehow only scoring 32 points in the first half <laughs> against St. Francis, a team that constantly lets me down one way or another. It's kind of like I hate betting on UCLA or ASU, but I also kind of hate betting against them because you always just, you know, in your mind, you always think, okay, maybe I'll bet for them this time around instead of actively rooting against them. And then the times you do bet on them, you're like, this is why I bet against them every time. So um, they did cover, but I was going for the over in that game. Thought the over was low, but uh, yeah, I'm already unimpressed with UCLA. Maybe they're going to finish fifth in the conference. Let's put it that way. Look, I'm not a betting guy, literally, and even figuratively. I'm not a betting man, but I would have advised potentially to stay away from UCLA only because of the roster turnover. No Tiger Campbell, no Jaime Hawkes. We got to let the young boys gel, Taylor. I mean, and I'm not going to sit here and be like, act like I only picked eight games out in one parlay yesterday. This just happened to be the one that was surviving the latest. I'm not trying to sit here and act like I'm just like some, uh, you know, I don't want to say expert, but, you know, just some sniper that can just pick out eight games across 125 yesterday. That was just the eight that I had, you know, that lasted the longest. So um, you're closer. You're closer to that sniper, though, than I am like a betting man at all. It's like when Brian Scalabrini said to a bunch of pickup players, he's like, I'm closer to LeBron James than you are closer to me. True. I would say I'm more of a carpet bomber. Um then I like a, I'm a quantity over quality better. Let's just say if you throw enough in, <laughs> one of them is bound to hit, and I'm okay with that. Like I'll fully admit, and it it's worked out so far for me, you know, in my betting life. So he's a volume shooter, Taylor. Let's dive in first though with the the topic potentially of the sports world on Monday, and that was the James Madison Dukes toppling a top five. Michigan State team in the Breslin Center, getting it done in overtime. Shocking, shocking stuff. Taylor, as I was entering the day, you don't, like I said at the top, I mean, there's going to be some competitive matchups, but I expect that from the the lowly mid-major teams, I did not expect JMU to even give Michigan State a fight. A Michigan State team that a lot of folks are penning penning into the final four uh and they just got they just got completely shocked to the system and jmu i you see it on the screen right here the whole athletic program right now well and when i met when i say that i mean the football team the football team if they lined up against michigan state would probably win that game and so now you have jmu basketball coming into the breslin center 
and absolutely pulling off one of the biggest upsets I think we're going to see all season long, Taylor. Uh, Take me through your thoughts because I was thinking I'm ready to watch Isaiah Collier and Tyler Perry in Vegas, and that was going to be the headliner. That game actually turned out to kind of stink, but I was delayed from watching those guys. I, I couldn't see Isaiah Collier's impeccable first half because we were all glued and we were all fixated in East Lansing. Yeah, I I love the your spot on with JMU Athletics uh, being better than Michigan State, which is great. Michigan State Athletics is like, what if they didn't have Tom Izzo? Let's just throw that out there. Like, could they be the biggest dumpster fire uh, in terms of like scandals in the country if it wasn't for Tom Izzo holding things down? Such a strange thing, you know, Michigan State basketball is sometimes because we seemingly have this discussion pre- um, not to the degree of losing to James Madison on the first game of the year, but we seem to have this discussion about Michigan State every single year. Oh, Michigan State suck. It's pre-January 1st and then even pre-March, you know. Um, so let's say this, though, and, and maybe you can roll with me on this. I'm just going to suggest this. We know the answer overall to this question is it, it kind of doesn't matter. It's the first game of the year, okay? I think we can agree on that. So let's get rid of that in elite and just talk about what we find as a difficulty for Michigan State in this game. Because we know that is the, there's 39 games until the final four at this point, right? So we know that it is the first game of the year and that they will probably figure it out. What's problematic to me, though, about this game is Tyson Walker scored 35 points. And the rest of the team scored for 41 in overtime. And that, is, that to me, that is problematic. We know how good Tyson Walker is, a guy that... You know, it was picked by us to be, um, you know, potential Big Ten player of the year. I picked and, him. Yeah. And a team, you know, a team to only shoot 5% from three at home, not ideal. Uh, to miss 15 free throws at home, not ideal. Now, is that going to happen again? Probably not. But they also got out-rebounded, too. They got out-assisted as well, you know. So, they had a similar amount of turnovers, um, you know, JMU had 11 more fouls, so it's not like they didn't have opportunities. I know that it is just the first game of the year, but there are some things, at least also in the rotation, with like a you know an AJ Hoggard not being in down the stretch at all, that we can maybe note and say, okay, so maybe later on in the year in these other big games. Of course, you and I were talking about how, of course, one of Arizona's number one top out-of-conference opponents loses to James Madison week one, just like this seems to happen every year to Arizona fans. Um, so I guess if you didn't have a coach like Tom Izzo, you'd be like, oh, this is you know very problematic. Now you're probably going to say, well, this is a good springboard to say like, yo, guys, we can't just walk into the gym. Like if you're going to lose this game, it might as well be game one, right? Because now you can be like, you can't lose this. You, we can't just walk into the gym, even our own gym, and just expect to win these games. But So for me, the problematic parts, though, are the fact that some of the people we expected to be contributors down the stretch for Michigan State kind of weren't, and they weren't even on the floor, which was kind of interesting. And then Tyson Walker did miss a couple free throws that really would have put the game away or would at least put them up, and they never got up really at the end or even in overtime. Um, I can't blame Tyson Walker really for anything because he did carry the whole team, put his team on the back, though. So... um, it is a little bit of an issue that he scored 50% of their points to me, or well, 45% of their points in my mind though. So I'm glad you broke it down from that perspective. I don't think any sane person is panicking. It's not time to hit the panic button. What do I always say? What's my deadline, Taylor? It's, it's Valentine's day, really. And when you have a Tom Izzo and his pedigree, uh, there's no point in panicking, but there is cause for a little concern and why that's stressful with college basketball and why that's stressful is because although it may seem like a long season, it's pretty compact. It's a 16 week season. And so if you're already at a cause for concern this early, especially with the schedule Michigan state's going to play, that's just annoying as a fan. It's a bit annoying because you have Arizona coming up. You have Duke coming up. You have a bear of a big 10 schedule coming up. And so what this is going to do undoubtedly Taylor, what this is going to do is impact seed 
for Michigan State, which could be a big deal in terms of matchups and and the road to uh, Phoenix. Again, that's looking very far ahead, but that this this loss is going to look very ugly, and and there's no taking that away. I don't expect Michigan State to turn around and have such an incredible rest of the season because I never expected that to happen. I've always expected them to have their trials and tribulations. What was unexpected was that it came game one. And so now you're a little bit behind that eight ball where you say to yourself as a Michigan State fan, over the years, they schedule so tough. And we see them coming out of those games 500, maybe a game below 500 or maybe a a game above 500. But if you're a Michigan State fan, you're like, I've seen this scheduling before and these tough teams that we have early in the season. And so I don't care what the outcome of those are or the outcome of those don't necessarily dictate, but now that because you're usually have, have taken care of game one, uh, they have not taken care of game one. And so now it only gets that much tougher. I mean, incredibly more difficult. Uh, so I think this is going to impact their seeding. Like when we hit late February, early March, and we're talking about one seeds, two seeds, three seeds, uh, this is going to linger like a like a, a stinky like a stinky skunk around Michigan State. Uh, you mentioned some of the box score and the numbers. The two point shooting was very similar between JMU and MSU. The three point shooting was the difference. And yes, I don't expect Sparty to only shoot five percent moving forward. I th- I don't know what's more troubling, Taylor, the percentage or the amount of made threes. Right? Like they only made one. And that, that's the that's I, that might be more staggering to me than just a five percent number. I guess you could say, well, they go hand in hand. But I mean, to have only made one three in a game that went to overtime as well, like at home, that's that's just that's such a misnomer. Uh, and I don't expect that to happen. But what does need to happen is the rest of the folks need to step up. And Tyson Walker put the team on his back, like you mentioned, 35 points. And Tom Izzo was asked about this. And the thing is, they have the they have the the veterans to do it. They have AJ Hogard. They have uh, they they have obviously Tyson Walker. But um, outside of that, you know, I think Jackson Kohler's there. They just uh, who's the big man that that I'm missing? Malik Malik Hall. Um, they just need to step up, and they didn't do it last night and some of the body language was a little concerning as well. They were down four. Yeah. The game's over for us fans sitting on the couch, but you have to at least show like, Hey, we're still, we're still somehow in this game uh, in the overtime. But I look, there's, there's no, if you're Tom Izzo and if you're Sparty, you just got to go about how you play. And if you're a Spartan fan, this is kind of how the early season starts. But the difference is, this this starts because you lose to Kansas, you lose to Kentucky, you lose to, to Duke, you lose to top five teams, right? You maybe not will not produce because you know they got them in conference, but it's just a little concerning uh, just knowing their schedule and what the goals were as it relates to potential seeding. Yeah, totally. I mean, it makes some of these other games. I don't want to say must wins because there's no such thing really as a must win in college basketball in in November and December, but it makes these big out of conference games a little more important because they have to show that, okay, yeah, we do have our stuff together here. We're not going to just lose to the James Madison's the world. And you kind of brought it up too, in terms of the stats, we see this sometimes when a JMU type of team shoots the lights out and that's why they beat, you know, another team, it's like, oh, yeah, they shot 68% from three or they couldn't miss in the lane or something like that. James Madison only shot like 36% from from the field, too. And I think that's pretty troubling that a team that didn't a team that didn't even play nearly its best game either, not even close to their best game, um, beat the number four team in the country at home. Um, we have been through this as fans before, not necessarily on the losing side, but you know, where a team struggles down the stretch. And I think that was another thing that was notable is 99.9% of the time we see this happen. And the team with a Tyson Walker or the number four team in the country goes, Oh man, the under four timeout hits and goes, Oh geez. Okay. We got it. We got to lock this down and we got it. And then they go on a 10 to run. They don't cover or anything like that, but, you know, they end up winning by six. You and I sit there and go, oh, look at how excited these dumb students are in the crowd for beating James Madison by six, you know, and and get all pessimistic about it. And that's and that's usually what we do. Right. Because usually 
that team, the home team, the number four team in the country, wins this game simply over because they out talent the, the the team down the other team down the stretch. To not see that happen here is is definitely concerning. Yeah, and so I want to make a quick point in retraction. I mentioned Jackson Kohler; he wasn't he wasn't there, but uh, Maddie Sissoko. I mentioned Malik Hall, Jaden Nakins. Uh, it's just they, they 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 need far more production out of those guys because from the starting lineup. Hall gave Malik Hall gave him four. Sissoko gave him four. Akins gave him four. Hogard gave him nine. And then Tyson Walker went berserk. And so to your point, Taylor, what's what's interesting about that is at halftime, this already felt like a loss for Michigan State. Now, now feeling like a loss and having it on your record are wildly different things. But as it relates to the suicides they were going to run, uh, as it relates to the absolute tongue lashing they were going to get from Tom Izzo, as it relates to the fans concern and the fans unrest and anger at that one game, that was never uh, that was over at halftime. Because even if they came back and won, everyone's going to be focusing on what a garbage first half they played or why was this even a competitive game? Now, the fact that they lost, like that's almost a, another added insult to, to injury because I, I think the players knew that the, the hell was going to come. I can't imagine what the last 24 hours have, have been like for Michigan State. And I don't, again, I don't want to over-exaggerate. I don't want to overreact. But the, I, the, my, my main takeaway from this for Michigan State is that there is slight concern, ever so slight concern. I'm not, I don't think I can just throw this away. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the other teams that they're supposed to be competing with this year, um, Kansas won by 43, Duke won by 38, Purdue won by 53, uh, Marquette won by 22, UConn won by 43, and all the way down the line, you know, Houston by 53, Tennessee by 38, Arizona won by like 900. Um, if those are the teams you're competing with, right, and you're struggling, and I know James Madison's a little better than than some of these guys that they played, but uh, yeah, it's a tough look when everyone that you're supposedly competing with is winning their game by forty plus, and you're losing at home in overtime. Is it almost so, worse that they, it's almost worse to me that they lost in overtime? Just going back to my last point too, like. Okay, so you didn't even push it out down the stretch of the game, and you still had five minutes when you have the when you're the far superior team, and then you were like, uh, no, <laughs> we're still uh, gonna lose. <laughs> right. That's such a good point, Taylor, because you're right. The under four timeout is usually when underdogs and their fan bases are like, well, it was a great first thirty six minutes, but we're gonna prep for the worst, and then we see it with the underdogs when they're playing for the tie and they're playing for overtime, no matter the sport, that always gets them in trouble. And the better team ends up winning. I mean, we we kind of we almost saw that with Arizona USC in football. Uh, I actually don't know if if who's the better team. Probably Arizona at this point. But the point is, uh, the the difference was far greater in terms of of talent level, in terms of ter- teams. And you're right. Like, okay, here's here's an additional five minutes for you to just play the best five minutes of the night. And Michigan State just just couldn't get that one stop. And, and that's what it, it kind of concerned me a little bit regarding the body language, regarding some of the uh, rebounding efforts uh, and, and things of that nature that you're just not accustomed to with, with a Tom Izzo team. Like that was a loss I've seen a million times in November against other top five, top 10 teams. So again, a little concerned. My only other takeaway, they're not a top five team. That's okay. And that's why I don't give a squad about rankings uh, they'll be they'll be hover. I think they are a top ten, top fifteen team. I'll give them a top fifteen team, uh, but they're certainly not a top five team uh, based off of that. And I think maybe even a scrimmage that they played. It's interesting. I wonder how much. I don't know. I bring this up in some capacity almost every episode. So many moving parts in college basketball now. I wonder how often this ends up happening with when you're putting so many different guys together. Um, and not just like at a Michigan State, this is just an overarching point to say like, so what if what happens when you play these schools that are a little more together, these mid-major schools that are a little more together versus these, uh, you know, uh, high-major schools that are kind of thrown together? And not that Michigan State's totally thrown together, but you know what I'm saying, where there's a lot, there's a lot less continuity, and these are the times to pick these teams off, I would guess. I don't know if that's an excuse, uh, you, you know, but I, it's, it's just a – I'm just spitballing here. It's just a thought, you know. Now is the time to pick off the JM or to beat. It's not even pick off. Pick off insinuates like an upset, but 
now is the time to beat up on these guys because the mid-majors that end up pulling 15 over twos, 14 over threes, 13 over fours, et cetera, et cetera, those are champions of their league. I don't know. Like, I don't know what JMU was, was picked to finish. I know Radford who gave Carolina a good game was picked to finish second in the big, uh, big South, I believe. But at the end of the season, when you see these up, up upsets, Taylor, it's as a result or it's coming at the hands of a team that won either the regular conference or regular season championship or the conference tournament championship, right? Like these are really good teams. And now on paper, you say they're not better than the champions of the SEC or the ACC, but at least, you know, you're going up against a champion here with Michigan state. Like nobody knows who they are. Nobody really has an identity. Uh, So through one game, it's, it's pretty crazy that, that they're winless and JMU is one and oh. So and, and you know he, what? Hey, let me let me say this real quick. JMU is not going to get an at large bid, but my God, this is going to propel them. Uh, in case they didn't have any confidence, every single game they go into, they should be saying to themselves, I think they're in the Sun Belt. They should be saying to themselves, shit, we beat Michigan State on the road. Why can't we beat these guys? Just go ahead and have that mentality. Well, they were picked by many to win the Sun Belt. So if they do, they are going to be, I mean, wait, just wait till, um, uh, you know, March Madness, Bracketology, and uh, Selection Sunday. When the brackets come out, if they do miss, make the tournament, this is going to be an extremely talked about game. They'll be like, yo, they beat Izzo and Michigan State at home or on the road already, and now they're in the tournament? Like, they don't fear anybody. And then they'll get smoked by, like, 98 still. Okay. But like, <laughs> but, but that, that, that line will shrink, and then they'll be a very bet-on and pick team when they do finish at that 12, 13, 14, 15 range, whatever. Um, and this will be, to your point, and to, I guess, this whole point we're talking about, this will be a talked-about game throughout the rest of the year, just because yes. they are the favorite to win their conference. Michigan State was maybe, they weren't the favorites in their conference, but they were right up there with with uh, Purdue. So this this isn't a game that's going to go away for either of these teams, especially when we come to March uh, 11th or 12th or whenever this whenever Selection Sunday is this year. I'm telling you, again, no need to panic, Sparty. You're okay. You're fine. Believe in Tom Izzo. Believe in the system. Follow Tyson Walker. But it is going to – that there's going to be a slight little stink. You know when you maybe get a little stink coming from the sink or or the dishwasher or maybe you're like, nah, let's take the trash bag out even though it's only half full. That's kind of the, the stench here that's going to be lingering around for a little bit. Uh, let's move on though, Taylor, now to Jersey, all right? We know who runs that state in basketball. There's a hierarchy when it comes to college basketball in New Jersey – and standing at the top are the Princeton Tigers. Shout out Brett McConnell. Shout out Luke Gore, our guys. But man, they go and they go and beat uh, Rutgers for the first win of the season. What an awesome victory here for Princeton Taylor. I'm just so happy for them, and also another uh, uh, another good Jersey team, FDU. I'm happy for them because they didn't rest on their laurels. It was very clear. They didn't rest on their laurels, but Princeton specifically, after going to the Sweet 16 and showing the country that th- this their run really wasn't a fluke because right, like you beat Arizona, people think it's a fluke. Well, they handled a pretty good Missouri team, and then they gave Creighton a very good game. People forget that they gave Creighton a very good game. To hear all of the praise and Fanta was on campus, Princeton got a lot of press clippings, and the question was – are they going to read it? Are they going to rest on their laurels? The answer is clearly no. As they beat a quality Big Ten opponent, they beat Steve Peichel's guys, uh, and they get a great start start to the season. And then, and again, Taylor, this is losing two guys from their Sweet 16 run. Tosan, gone, uh, and, and Ryan Langborg, who is going to see Rutgers, actually, this season because he's at Northwestern. So what a great win. For Princeton, I can't I can't stress that enough. And it's been a really good run of basketball in New Jersey. We talk about St. Peter's a couple of years ago. We talk about Princeton last year. FDU won. Uh, this has been a really good stretch. And you know what, Rutgers isn't isn't a complete slouch. But I thought this was just super impressive. They were lights out from three, Taylor, which is what you should be accustomed to uh, when watching Princeton. I think they shot. What did they shoot from three? Uh, 
45%. Oh. <laughs> 45% from beyond the arc. On the flip side, Rutgers really struggled, only shooting 29%. Uh, you think they missed Cam Spencer a little bit? But what a great win uh, for Mitch Henderson and Princeton. And, and one other thing, this is huge for them as it relates to building momentum because the Ivy League is very difficult. All that matters really is uh, setting yourself up to even make the Ivy League tournament. And right now they're doing exactly that. It's only one game, but man, I'm so impressed with them. Yeah, I think, it, you know, I think in some ways it says just as much about Rutgers uh, and maybe kind of echoing the Michigan State thoughts is a little bit of a disappointment here. Very impressed with Princeton. Don't get me wrong when I say that, you know, Princeton really has no bench. Um, all all five of their starters played 28 or 29 or more minutes. And the two guys that only played 28, 29 minutes were in foul trouble. Probably the only reason that they're the backups played at all. Um, a little disappointing if you're Rutgers to only, t- you know, they only took seven free throws and you're a high major big 10 school with a bunch of six eleven, and you know, big guys should be physical guys on the team. Same complaint. I mean, you can, since you brought it up, we can walk this back to Arizona playing Princeton last year too, where it's like, how do you have like the tallest team in the country? And you can't beat these guys. Like just dump it inside and beat them up. And yet they have, have prevented that against a number of teams here. Didn't, that are, didn't Rutgers also get out rebounded? Uh, I mean, they lost, so it wouldn't be surprising to me. Yeah, they, they got did. out they rebounded yeah, by did. Princeton too. Yeah, correct, and, and including on the offensive boards, offensive glass as well. So um, again, they didn't really get out. I mean, they did shoot better from three. Don't get me wrong, but they didn't really get it outshot as a general sense. You know, there was only a three percent differential. Now, three pointers were the difference in the game, as Rutgers or as Princeton did hit five more threes and obviously one by seven. So you can, you can say that that was the difference maker in the game, but it is a little interesting to say, okay, what, what, what is the strategy if you're a Rutgers or going back to the tournament last year, if you're in Missouri, if you're a Creighton, if you're in Arizona is you got the size and you got the athleticism, right? Why aren't you going to the, the free throw line 78 times against a team like Princeton? So a little bit to question there as Rutgers, but you know, going back to your point, um, we should be, and maybe walking back what I first originally said, yeah, we should be more impressed with Princeton uh, than we're giving them credit for, or than I'm giving them credit for. If you look at their performance, you know, across those games that I've been referencing, that's a lot of good teams that they've played and a lot of wins against those good teams. And I'm not, I'm not sure how good Rutgers is going to be this year. I don't think, and you know, we, we can't necessarily speak on that, but when you're going out there, like you said, losing, um, a, you know, a couple of guys from last year's tournament run, this is a program, some would say now. And, you know, they certainly have an offense that we know and, and love. But um, but this is a program that is now potentially doing this year in and year out. Um, will they have other opportunities to prove that? You know, they don't have too many other big games on the schedule outside of the Ivy. This was probably their number one non-conference game. They play a Bucknell. They play a, you know, a Duquesne, a, a Furman, you know, so on and so forth. So, um for them to win this game was kind of their flagship non-conference game. And again, probably one that we're talking about again on Selection Sunday, as these guys are, again, the favorite to win the Ivy League. They do If they do that and get in, that's going to be the number one game on the, on the board. Hey, went in to Rutgers and beat them on the road. What I love about Princeton is that there's no laissez-faire attitude. And I'm not saying that is the case with big schools, What's that meme with the elder gentleman gentleman in the Michigan hat? He's like, this shit means something to me, man. This stuff means something. Like, this means stuff to Princeton. They're not afraid to take on big-name schools. They're not afraid to take on a Pac-12, an SEC, a Big East, and now a Big Ten school. All right? They're not afraid to go up against some of the best bigs in the entire country, including Umar Balo, including Ryan Kalkbrenner, and now Cliff Amarui, who is very good and very talented, right? And it means something to that. I guarantee Mitch Henderson was saying, look, this is a battle for Jersey, all right? Like, I want to I wanna be able to stake our claim as the best team in this state. And, and the, the, the way that Princeton plays is very inspiring. I think a lot of teams can draw from Princeton and, and – it's just, it inspired me. It, it, it's why I, I watch Princeton and I say to myself, that's why I love college basketball. 
that that type of effort, that type of teamwork. Um, and and I credit them first, Taylor. And sure, maybe maybe it was a subconscious thing, but like I credited Princeton first because one, their defensive strategy, although it sounds super easy, right? If you're an opposing coach, it's clearly not. They Princeton does something. I remember talking to Brett McConnell over the offseason, and he said, we just packed the paint, and we had to be sturdy against guys like the bigs I had mentioned. And they've been able to do it now, as you mentioned, for the past, like, five games, man, dating back to last season. And so a second part of that that's kind of related to it, Taylor, is I saw this result, and it just did not shock me that much. And if you, if you take an alien or let's say our wives instead, and just be like, Hey, a sweet 16 team from last season, just beat or just quote unquote upset a big 10 team that didn't make the tournament. They'd be like, well, yeah, what's, what's the big deal about that? Um, And so that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with them in that sense as well. I'm saying to myself, Princeton has proven what they can do over the last year and a half. Rutgers has they missed they completely folded at the end of last year it's actually kind of like looking at two different basketball programs going in different directions so that's why I wanted to kick it off with Princeton is I think in my mind this was more about Princeton than it was Rutgers yeah and and I wouldn't disagree with that at all um it, it it is just a little disappointing in when you have a larger, if you are that larger school, just like the Michigan state factor there. Um, and the fact that this is, you know, Princeton, Princeton game, Princeton's game travels, which is really uh, something that you can't say about a lot of programs in the country. Um, good, uh, good foreshadowing on you to co- have a couple of Princeton guys on here in the, uh, in the off season. Look at you. Yeah. Well, I'm now, I, I was definitely using that when, uh, to continue to reach out to them and tag them on Twitter. Like I'm some sort of four-year-old annoying pissant, like grabbing out their leg, but he got to do it. Listen, I, as, as a, a guy who tries to do the same thing on a weekly basis on Instagram for business himself. Yes, I understand. Uh, so Taylor, those were two big games that I wanted to touch on and and I'm glad we started off the program giving our sincere takes and our, our, our serious takes. Let's have some fun though, because did you see the end of the Louisville UMBC ending? We got, dude, let's go through this. Cause I got it pulled up. All right. I want to go through it though. It's the last couple possessions and it's just a comedy of errors all over the place, man. I, I mean, I genuinely can't believe what I was witnessing, but then at the same time, I was like, yeah, this kind of makes sense because Louisville is complete garbage. So let me set the stage here. Okay. Uh, Louisville is up 92 to 90 on UMBC with 22 seconds left, right? UMBC now has the ball. All Louisville does, has to do right now in this is uh, get a stop or at least apply some pressure. Let's hit play here. All right. Has two and 26 points. Brown Absolutely zero pressure there, Taylor. Can we start with that? A straight line drive to the basket to tie the game. Where the hell am I there with that Louisville possession? Defensive well, possession. I mean, there's a reason this, this team was like the worst team in college basketball last year. High major team in college basketball last year. So this gets even better. Basket. We're now tied, we're all tied up with 18 at 92 seconds left to play. With 18 seconds left. Okay, 18 Ooh. seconds left. Let me hit pause. What are you thinking here, Taylor? Last shot, right? Let's pull the ball out. Let's get it. Let's get set up. We've got two timeouts left as well. Is, <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Which is great. And let's, you know, let's start the offense with what? Eight, eight seconds left, nine seconds left. So if we miss our first attempt, maybe an opportunity for an offensive rebound, but not enough time to go the other way. Again, not one, but two timeouts left. So... I'm all for letting letting kid let the kids decide the game, right? I'm all for um, you know coaches if the team is in a rhythm to let things run. This is not how this possession goes by any means. So again, two timeouts left. Could have could could have maybe drew something up. You're drawing drawing something up. Absolutely appalled at this decision making from Louisville. But then again, why? Why should I be this surprised? So I just rewound it a little bit because I want to hear the the uh, commentators 
input because he says something similar like Louisville should hold for the last shot. So hang on. I just rewounded it. Uh, this is again UNDC tie. And we're all tied up all right. with 18 seconds left to play and one final possession for Louisville. But should they choose to hold it? Trey White goes right to the basket. Should they choose to hold it? And that was the most insane play of the game. So Louisville now, first of all, the, the announcer, he says, should they choose to hold it? Because he's seeing this guy going to the rim with 10 seconds left. Like, uh, are, are you trying to win this game with nine seconds? Throws up some nonsense. UMBC has the ball. Credit to the Louisville player, I guess. Doesn't give up on the play. Rips it from the UMBC player and just throws an alley-oop uh, for two points there for, for the Cardinals. This is such a college basketball play. By the way, like I know that you and I like college basketball more than the NBA, and we both love the NBA too. But this would never happen in the NBA. <laughs> NBA. Like, you're holding for the last shot. Any shot you get is is a good shot, essentially, um, because as long as the other team doesn't get an opportunity to tie or win the game, then worst thing that can happen to you is going to overtime. For him to take this drive and to put up. A very contested layup again with 10 seconds left. I also, again, the coach can call timeout at any point before the ball's released. <laughs> when you see him take his first step, you've got a second, let's call it, from from where he starts to really make it look like it's obvious that he's going to the rim, which is about at the top of the key. You've got about two steps, maybe a full second for as a coach to be like, no, 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 let's. Let's pull this out. And yet they don't do that. Man had man had a desire, all right, to be the hero. Now, most kids, when they're growing up, they say, yeah, you, you always dream about it in the backyard. The buzzer sounds and the crowd goes crazy. You see the red lights. Uh, he wanted to get the game winner with seven seconds left. I don't know if any kid wants that. Uh, or wanted that, but he he certainly did. Okay, but he rips it back, gets the ball back. And how about UMBC? What an awesome defensive possession, only to get it ripped from you. Now, you could argue it was a potential foul, but what a way to go down in this game. So now it is 94-92 Louisville with eight <laughs> seconds left. Okay, so we're replaying it again, just absolutely appalling basketball. He just takes it, it away from a new throws it up. <laughs> And now right, here Louisville, we go. The fouls. Transfer from Louisville decides to foul up to. And so UMBC is at the line. Go ahead. So your most famous ESPN moment was because a team that we root, rooted for uh, fouled in a tied game intentionally. So um, what's yeah, worse in a tie game <laughs> or down to or up I mean, to? Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, that's worse. You're right. I mean, that is worse. So continue on here, though. Oh, my goodness. All right. So, Louisville fouls. UMBC's at the line to tie the game with two seconds in there. 51% free throw shooter 51% there. free throw shooter, true That's to his long. name, goes one of two. Now, hang on. He misses the second one. <laughs> you think we're done, right? You think this comedy of errors is over. As a matter of fact, how, how could I miss this? Taylor, the reason he was at the line is because he got fouled when he clearly stepped out of bounds, the UMBC guy. I mean, I think he had two feet out of bounds and the ref just didn't decide to call it and instead decided to call a foul on Louisville. So that is also very college basketball where everything leading up to this point, you think to yourself, there's no way they can outdo themselves in idiocy and and stupidity. And yet here we are. The refs are like, you're both awful idiot teams i'm gonna join the party and not call an out of bounds play so 50 percent umbc shooter from the line does go one of two all louisville has to do is grab the rebound get a foul step pat your pad your stats maybe win the game by three or uh or four but we're not done taylor because umbc gets the rebound only for them to juggle the ball and not get a shot off all things considered, this might have been the dumbest ending I've ever seen. It's like that 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 Billy Madison uh, scene where the the proctor, the mediator is like, we are all dumber for listening to what you just said. We are all dumber for having watched that, Finn. It makes you ask the question, how did these teams put up 187 combined points with this uh, type of performance? And 
we're calling or they're calling whoever they are that the last play for Louisville in alley oop. And alley oop generally means that it was like intentional. And after he ripped the ball away, he kind of I don't think he was intentionally trying to throw an oop. I, he was just kind of throwing it up like to keep it in bounds or kind of towards a player. So uh, good on the who, I don't remember who it was, but good on the whoever Louisville players was there to catch it and dunk it. Um, you know, it's always classic too with a 50% free throw shooter. If you're, if you're on the team that, um, you don't want to win, he's always making those (laughs) (laughs) except for, I guess in this situation, but I saw, I think it was a a genius Jeff Goodman there, tweet about how, Oh, last year, this is a game that Louisville loses. I was like, well, <laughs> they, they kind of they, they kind of should have lost this one too, man. Like, I'm not taking you can't be taking anything away from this game and being like, oh yeah, an approved Louisville squad, which <laughs> which just ended a game like that and somehow beat UMBC by one point, one whole American point. Like, yeah, no, we're not taking anything away that Louisville is somehow better this year than they were last year because of this game. I think he also mentioned like. Louisville has no business being in tight matchups with UMBC. But again, I can't remember the last time I expected a Louisville team to smash a team. I, I really don't. They're almost like Georgetown, which, by the way, I think uh, this day last year, they snapped their 21-game losing streak with an overtime win against Coppin State. That made my five-year journal, as a matter of fact, Taylor. So, uh, I mean, like you're right. The, the only thing I took from this game was what we just witnessed was the – calamitous ending. And I think my favorite part was the announcer just being like, is, is, is he, is he not pulling this out? And look, Louisville is, uh, is one and oh, when it's all said and done, just great humor. You and I have always talked about how we could never be announcers. Cause all we would do the whole time is go, Oh, Oh, Oh. And that's essentially what that announcer did over that last stretch. You notice he didn't say anything about what was happening. Uh, You know, for the three, there were essentially three plays that kind of happened in a two-second period there. He didn't mention any of them. That would be me if I was a live announcer of a college basketball game. It really is the perfect game to show the difference uh, with respect to fandom, like you had mentioned. Like an NBA fan is watching that. After having just watched, let's say, Kevin Durant and Victor Wembanyama do things that we've never seen on a basketball court. Now, I haven't necessarily seen that either. So from the same perspective, uh, we haven't seen two things on the basketball court. One is so much more pure and beautiful, uh, but I find this to be beautiful as well because it's so, so disgusting. What a great finish, and I cannot wait for more of those uh, with Louisville. Taylor, let's move on to some very quick hitters. I got a shout out, McNeese State getting revenge for their headman Will Wade, who is still suspended or out, not on the sidelines. But I say revenge because Will Wade was the head coach at VCU, not necessarily him leaving VCU in an unceremonious fashion like he did at LSU. But McNeese State, credit to them for going to VCU and getting the win. They they controlled the game from the jump, Taylor. Uh, And and the thing I was surprised with was seeing a Ryan Odom-led team who were so used to playing well and playing consistently and being tough at Utah State. It's a different beast, I suppose. Well, I don't know. Is the Mountain West different than than uh, than the A-10? Who knows, right? I, I don't know if it's, it's that different, but I was shocked to see a Ryan Odom-led team come out that flat against an inferior opponent in McNeese State. Uh, as it relates to one of the guys I said to look out for on my all-transfer team, Max Shulga. He led the way with with 22 for VCU. So from an individual perspective, I had an all right night. Uh, Tyson Walker, who I picked as Big Ten Player of the Year, dropped 35. Shulga, one of my better transfers to the A-10, dropped 22. Just a bit surprised to see a Ryan Odom-led team uh, not be juiced up and ready to go night one at home. Well, and, you know, a big factor in that is, you know, they're down nine which is a lot. Don't get me wrong. They're, or excuse me. They're down seven with about two minutes left. Not in, you know, in an in insurmountable lead by any means. They don't score for the last minute, 58 seconds in the game at home against a McNeese state. Uh, troubling stuff there. Shahada Wells, I believe is, is how you pronounce his name. Shahada Shahada Wells uh, scored 23 there for McNeese led the way. Um, and, you know, McNeese shot almost 50% from three. 
So, you know, going back to like James Madison, oh yeah, well, I don't know why they won. This is clearly why they won in this game. You know, they, they, they outshot VCU uh, on the road, but yeah, troubling when your team at home against an inferior opponent, you can't score for the last two minutes of the game. Yep. Uh, One of the marquee matchups of day one, well, because it was two power schools, Georgia, Oregon. I was saying if Oregon had any sense of school spirit, they would try and avenge the 49 to three loss that Dan Lanning and his boys took to Kirby smarts team in week one of last year's uh, college football season. And they did thanks in large part to Infali Dante's performance. Very impressed with Dante night one. I don't think I thought we were going to get very limited minutes from Dante. If he was going to play at all, he did. He did obviously play uh, and he played far more than let's say 10 or 15 minutes, whatever the, the, quote unquote pitch clock was for him. Uh, he had 20 plus rebounds. And again, the guy who was going to be on a minutes restriction and some were even saying, how is he, if he's even going to suit up, he has that, uh, that injury over the off season, but in folly Dante, what a terrific, terrific force uh, for the ducks in game one. 73 total boards for Oregon. That's a ton of, of boards. Golly. To, yeah, that also means there were a ton of missed shots. Uh, 45 rebounds for Georgia, which means that, oh, there were, there were a lot of missed shots in this game. So um, I guess, you know, my, my concern for Oregon, a team that's supposed to compete in the top half of the pack, uh, is that they did only shoot 48% from the free throw line. Um, a little concerning there because the free throw line's the same length in every court in the country. So um, that would be my concern in this game. But in Faladante, an incredible performance in 29 minutes, 21 boards, uh, is the current leader. Uh, is the highest amount of boards any player in the country got yesterday across, like you said, 100-something games. Yeah. Let's also give a quick shout-out to uh, Nate Biddle. If they go double big lineup, Dana Altman, that'll be interesting to see. But Nate Biddle had a really good first half for Oregon. Decent second half as well. Uh, he's a he's a seven-footer. And then Brennan Rigsby. Did you see this this white boy get up uh, in the first half? He had a wide open in Folly Dante for an easy alley-oop, which Dante would flush 100 times out of 100. And Brennan Rigsby, who is not as big as in Folly Dante, uh, decided to jump stop off of two feet and throw it down uh, for an electric dunk. So shout out, shout out to uh, Brennan Rigsby as well for giving us one of the dunks of the day for sure. Rigsby with a great stat line in 28 minutes was six at nine scored 16 points had six boards and three assists off the bench. You get a guy like that with that stat line off the bench. You're probably going to win a lot of games. Hmm. Brennan, don't call me Eleanor Rigsby. Work with me on the last name Beatles shout out. Uh, Taylor, last quick hitter I wanted to touch on was UNC Radford. That was actually a very good game in, I would say, for about, mm, let's say for about like 30, 35 minutes. And then UNC did pull away, which was good. But UNC's defense in that first half was a bit troubling. I think they gave up 41 first half points. Second half wasn't much better. They just... Uh, they, they just continued. They got a few more stops for sure. Uh, the offense was humming. It was definitely clicking. I, I loved what I saw from Harrison Ingram. It's going to be an adjustment period for Elliot Cadeau. He should only be a senior right now in high school. He reclassified. Uh, but this was a somewhat encouraging start for UNC on the whole. But that first half defense was uh, very, very troubling. It got a good Radford team. I will say Radford's very good. They have about three players or three starters that I think could contribute majorly on any ACC team. Yeah. You know what I liked from North Carolina in this game uh, specifically is that no one on the team had more than two turnovers, which you like to see something that's kind of plagued them uh, in the last number of years. Of course, one of those guys that plagued them in that field or in that stat is no longer with them. Um, But, you know, (laughs) I, and this is what you would have liked to see from a Michigan State. Ah, terrible first half, but let's, you know, they almost covered. And I know that not not everybody cares about that, but that does go to show you that, like, they did turn it on in the second half. Baycott, of course, had a 25-13 and 13 game, which we'll see a lot from him this year, I suppose. Um, R.J. Davis, he play, you know, he played pretty well, I guess, you know, 13 points. This team probably could have shot a little better from three. If they do that, they win by a lot more. Um 
first half stats were a lot different than the second half stats for Radford. Radford ended up only hitting five threes after after the first half, um, and you know really didn't yeah didn't really do much in the second half in terms of uh, keeping the game close. What you would expect to see from a team that's supposed to be pretty good this year in North Carolina, and. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say you'd be concerned about the first half, but I think sometimes a team just needs a little like, uh, okay, let's let's get going. And then North Carolina clearly did. Hey, man, don't forget, I took them as my ACC champ. I'm, I'm, you got to brag when you can, because in the middle of the season, some of my picks are going to just be in the complete gutter. So right now I'm taking my victory laps. Uh, Taylor... Do we have a little? Do we have a little theater going on in uh, Bloomington? There, we're recording as the FGCU Indiana game is going on. It is tied there currently with 13 minutes left, and Ooh. a guy I know did take Florida Gulf Coast plus 11 in this game. I don't know. I'm not going to say who that was, but a guy I know. Wow! What a lovely, lovely segue. Let's get to it. We're calling it Damel Dimes. Are you okay with that? This is your segment. So I want to make sure you have the final say, but this is what I came up with. So let's workshop it if you want to. But Damel Dimes, our betting corner, our expert, our guy, you are the marksman. You are the sharpshooter. Uh, first of all, tell me what you think about this name. And then second of all, give us some winners. I like Damel Dimes. I'm cool with that. All right. I wish you could have worked uh, Taylor the Impaler somewhere around there somewhere, but that's okay. That's a topic for mm, another let me time. Think. All right. Tough. Still known. Freaking Taylor the Impaler. Yes. Still known as that in some corners of Tucson, I think. So um, <laughs> not sure. Can't can't confirm or deny that. But all right, let's get it going here. You know, tomorrow or today, as uh, as you're listening to this podcast, there's a significantly less number of basketball games than there were uh, in the first two days of college basketball this year. So let's just go with the three kind of most notable games. A lot of them are kind of like your low major D1 versus a D2 type of school. They're not really going to have great lines or even lines at all. So what I'm going to start with, though, is maybe a surprising pick. Florida Atlantic, Final Four team from last year, is going or is playing your kind of some boys from your backyard, Mr. Supermanian, and that's Loyola Chicago. Now, Loyola Chicago, not a great year last year. You know, after going to the tournament of their first uh you know, when they drew Valentine's first year, they really had underperformed last year. And so these three picks, this one included, are not going to have anything to do with talent, anything to do with stats, anything to do with anything other than a feel. Florida Atlantic, major expectations on them this year. And we talked about this in our preview episode as it related to Florida Atlantic. Will they have a hangover? And I think they will. I'm not saying they're going to lose this game, but I am going to take Loyola Chicago plus 4.5. Loyola Chicago not playing at home, but I believe this game is neutral site in Chicago, so they should dominate the crowd there. So I'm going to go Loyola Chicago plus 4.5 against Florida Atlantic. Now, another game, same arena, Arizona State against Mississippi State. Now, I don't mean to play biases at a time like this, but let me go ahead and play biases at a time like this. Arizona State is replacing a lot of pieces, a team that's probably going to finish sixth or seventh or worse in in the conference, I would say. Um, Mississippi State's slightly more talented team. I'm going to go Mississippi State. Again, neutral site, minus four against Arizona State. And then for my last game, there is actually a little bit of legitimate strategy to the last pick I have here. I think, at least in my opinion, it's good to pick a team that's already played a game to cover against a team that hasn't played a game. And that's where I'm going with in Canisius visiting Syracuse. Syracuse is a 12.5 point favorite. Judah Mintz had a, he didn't shoot all that well, but he he scored well in the, his first game uh, as an Orangeman there. So I'm going to take Syracuse at home minus 12 and a half against Canisius. Canisius has not played a game yet. And Syracuse has played a game, albeit, you know, they only won by 11 against New Hampshire. Again, hate to beat a dead horse here. They've played a game. They've already have some tape to review. They've already gotten kind of the the preseason butterflies out. So that's Syracuse, Loyola, Chicago, and Mississippi State. I like that. Didn't it feel good? First one, getting our vets in here. It always does, Sue. It always does. I, I completely forgot FAU's in, in, at the crib. 
Yeah, they're in your back. How far is uh, Wind Trust Arena from you? Not very. I actually caught a Butler DePaul game a couple years ago. That is ago DePaul, when, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we were we were doing Hole 30, my wife and I, I was like, can't really do anything, but I can enjoy this game sober. Like, do you want to come? <laughs> like, let's do it. Uh, off that, obviously, right now. But yeah, <laughs> Wintrust, Wintrust, not very, not very far whatsoever, Taylor. I love the winners. I'm glad we're back. We're going to be tallying up how and, and seeing how successful Taylor is uh, throughout this season. Am I setting you up for failure with this type of uh, messaging here? No, I mean, I don't know. I thought I saw a little we, grown face. No, we got to we're, we're putting it out there. You know, well, I'm, I'm here to make predictions. I'm, I'm OK with being wrong. If I am, that's that's fine. You know, you always got to get through the uh, first part of the year, um, figure out who's good, who's who's got some continuity, who doesn't kind of like college football. I mean, it's the same as college football when you're just kind of for anyone who's played common opponents or anything like that. You're just kind of throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks and. And I'm okay with that. If these three picks are wrong, then we're just going to go three and zero the next weekend. That's fine. That's all right. We saw Michigan State lose week one. All right, or game one. We expect them to bounce back. Looking forward to all of these picks, Taylor. This is our last new segment before we get to uh, some other segments debuting next episode, or maybe this episode after that. But not so mid. This is going to be a segment, Taylor, where we want to highlight. Anything and everything regarding mid-majors, okay? Because it's very easy for us to get so so focused on the power teams. Um, and it's easy, honestly, for us to talk a little mid-major now. Uh, but once conference play starts coming, there's going to be some big storylines. So I want to make sure we carve out time and stick to pretty much our roots, why we got started, how we got started. And that's focusing on everyone because I'm not doing the feet tweets for every single game. I'm doing it only for the ones that I can have eyes on and the ones that that I have the bandwidth for. But not so mid. Let's prop up our mid-major players, coaches, and teams. I'll let you go first. Who you got? Well, so... We're so hip by using mid, by the way. What are we? As a guy who turned I felt very as a, old. As a guy who turned 34 today. God, we're that's no cap, Sub. All right. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm actually going to prop up two players that lost uh on their first game of the year. And that's uh the Arkansas Pine Bluff. We've got two players from Arkansas Pine Bluff. Two of them. How do you lose a game when Kylan Milton and Joe French Go for 34 and 30, and you lose 101 to 79. That's unbelievable. <laughs> the stat, they lost to Missouri. Yeah, you know, it's a high major school. You're talking about the next highest score, only five players scored on this team, Arkansas Pine Bluff. You had 34, 30, 5, 4, 3, and 3. So I'm not sure if I'm, maybe the rest of the team is mid, worse than mid. Um, but I'm going I'm to prop up those two guys from Arkansas Pine Bluff for putting up two of the best performances we saw yesterday. That's Kyla Milton and uh, Joe French there. Like, I mean, they didn't even really shoot poorly from the field. Like, Kyla Milton shot 8 of 10 from the field and scored 34 points and went to the line 20 times. <laughs> so I know it's in a loss, but I would hate to have two guys from the same mid-major team score 30 points and not talk about them. I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned them. Wow, Arkansas Pine Bluff kicking us off with uh, the not so mid seg- segment. I'm going to give a hat tip to Abilene Christian. All right, ACU. They go into Stillwater, baby, and they beat the Cowboys. Great game uh, from ACU. Oklahoma State. They held Oklahoma State to only five made threes. Uh, and Look, Oklahoma State, you shot 40% from the, from the free throw line at home. That's insane. That cannot happen. Uh, but what's really impressive with Abilene Christian is that they didn't really shoot the leather off the basketball. We talk about three mid-major teams, Taylor, that had great wins, right? Princeton, they did shoot the leather off the basketball. Uh, JMU, they did not. They still won. And then Abilene Christian, right? They did not either. They only made five threes all game, but yet they still Still found a way to win. Three of the five starters for Abilene uh, were in double figures. So you talk about your two studs right there over at Arkansas Pine Bluff that combined for 60 plus. Uh, maybe we need a little bit more 
point distribution. Uh, and Abilene Christian did very well there. Three of the five starters in double figures. Boards and assists, they played Oklahoma State even, which I think was the determining factor in this game. That and Oklahoma State missing a ton of free throws in a game that they only lost by five. Now, the only other thing, so credit to Abilene Christian. Happy for you, hug for you, not, you're not so mid. Uh, the only thing I want to additionally say here, Taylor, though, regarding Oklahoma State, is maybe, maybe you should think about and focus more on your program than whining and complaining and pissing and moaning about other basketball teams and the lack of repercussions or punishments that they're getting. Because while you're losing at home in Gallagher-Iba to ACU, and while you're also complaining about Bill Self and Kansas not getting any uh, any any repercussions, Kansas is winning by 40-plus. They're putting players in the NBA. They're a year removed from a national title. You know what else Bill Self is doing? He's probably wiping his big morning dump with that insane contract that he just got. Lifetime contract for Bill Self. All right. Flushed with cash is Bill Self. So Mike Boynton, Oklahoma State, I advise you to focus a little bit more on your program because you're not beating ACU, man. All right. And so when you're not doing that, you should worry less about the Kansases of the world. That's all I'm saying. So hot tip to ACU. Taylor, awesome first episode of the season. So glad to have you back, my friend. Uh, we will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.